You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we're going to talk about an essential ingredient to your programming that I know based on conversations I've had with coaches over over the last, what, 15 years, 10 years, that is an objection. So this is one of their biggest objections and misbelief and fallacy and anything you want to call it, uh, but uh, it's something that is absolutely important for your programming, and I want to dive into it on today's episode. So we definitely don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 160 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? For my new listeners, welcome to the podcast. My name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And for my regular listeners, as always, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. Uh, You know, I really appreciate you guys, uh, where the goal every week is to deliver value tangible step-by-step strategies so that you can gain clarity and apply what you learn to your team right away. And today is a, is another one I hope that I can, you know, deliver some value for you guys. And yeah, uh, a couple announcements. If you're listening to this before August 12th, 13th, DVA Live is going to be on those two days. Um, we've already had people signing up and registered, and I hope that I see you guys on there as well. Uh, and you would have heard in the preamble, it's an amazing weekend where you literally build your championship program in one weekend. It's very hands-on, very interactive, and you get a chance to connect with a lot of other coaches. So hope I can see you guys out for that. Looking forward to that. Um, and yeah, that leads me to today's episode. Uh, today's episode is, is, is really good because uh, I've been meaning to record this for a while now. And I want to break this, this belief from coaches and it's a belief that is not right and is preventing you from running a more efficient and more successful program okay but let me start by telling you a a little quick story so uh this year um one of my assistant coaches had to step down uh he uh, you know he fantastic assistant coach he was a former player of mine, former all-star libero, um, but he's uh, he has a young young daughter, and his daughter, you know, when you have young kids, I get it, I have two young ones as well. Uh, daughter was born, and with the rigorousness of our schedule, uh, he made the decision to take a step back and spend more time with his family, and that's great for him, and, uh, you know, and he, he, he he's definitely going to want to come back when he's able to, and with that being said, there was a roster spot that opened up for on my staff. I call it a roster spot. There was a spot opened up on my staff. So the question is, well, we got to hire someone. Now, if you've ever heard of any episode that I've had in the past, and if you ever have questions about hiring assistant coaches, um, I could probably do an entire other episode on this. And I, I think I have. Actually, episode 61 if you want to, if you want to talk about hiring assistant coaches or look, or what to look for, episode sixty one is really important. We're gonna dive a little bit of that into today, um, but so Miguel is our new assistant coach, and how we selected him was Miguel 
was a volunteer with our program. So every year or so, I'll post on my Instagram or I'll, I'll offer it to the college of anyone who wants to volunteer with the team. And volunteering is not a coaching position. You're just volunteering. A lot of players or a lot of people like to volunteer because they get a chance to see what it looks like inside a college gym. They get to shadow myself and our coaches to see exactly what types of conversations we're having with the athletes. What are we doing in practice? How are we developing it? You know, it's a, it's a, lot, it's a great insight to have. Um, and, 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 and in order to get that insight, you just got to volunteer. So we got a handful of volunteers every year. And Miguel was one of our volunteers, and he also coached at um, at one of the universities, uh, not the not the varsity team, but like a inter-campus team that competes within other campuses in the area and other colleges and things like that. And he's done a, a great job building that program up, and he was you know learning from myself, asking me questions and things like that. Well, one of the best pieces of advice I give head coaches is when you're hiring an assistant coach, it cannot be someone. Or try and make it not someone who you don't know, okay? It has to be someone that you know, that you've worked with, that you know who they are as a person, what their tendencies are, you know, what their what their beliefs are, what their philosophy is in terms of volleyball. It's got to be, because you got to be on the same page. And if you're not, that's a big problem. You know, there are so many times that I have coaches inside DVA who, well, we're always asking, hey, I have an assistant coach that's really it's really hard to get along with. Or I or the worst one is I have an assistant coach who, you know, when I give instructions or when I'm telling players to do something, they're telling them the exact opposite. And that is a problem that is such a big problem. And you cannot have that if you are a head coach. Your assistant coaches, they have to have and be on the same page as you are. They have to have the same vision as you. Now, that doesn't mean they, they don't they have to agree with everything you do. They can absolutely disagree and you know they can challenge you healthy, not challenge you to a point where they're against you, but they can, you know, obviously question certain things and you build you you come together, you have great discussions and conversations and you come out of it on top. My assistant coaches who've been with me for years challenge me all the time. Like, what are you talking about? Why are you doing that? And, and then I'm like, well, I'm doing that because I want to do this. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. Or, oh, actually, what about this? And we have a great conversation about it because we have a level of respect and they know at the end of the day, I'm the head coach and they're the assistant coach. So if I say we're doing something and whether they like it or not, we're doing it. And you better believe that they're going to go and execute that play to the best of their ability. They're not going to question it behind my back or go and tell the athletes something else. So if you have that dynamic with yourself and an assistant coach, you have that has to change. They cannot be on your staff because it's not healthy for you and the assistant coach as well as the team. You can't do that. Okay. So the reason I wanted to share this story was because Miguel is now an assistant coach and he was not someone we knew prior to volunteering and he was able to work his way into an assistant coaching position. This is very true at many big time universities as well. You know, I always hear from coaches, how do I make my way into the varsity? I want to become a head coach of a university one day. Well, start by volunteering. Seriously, start by reach out to the head coach and say, hey, you're interested if you can volunteer, shadow them. Get a chance to know them a little bit and do it for free. And then that way it gets you in the door. And as long as you're, uh, you know, you have good character, you're a good person and, and the head coach doesn't mind you being there or and you guys are on the same page, you know, that you never know where that can turn in because there's a lot of turnover in coaching sometimes for assistant coaches. They may, you know, be, they may get a head coaching job somewhere. 
They may decide they want to go back to a coaching club, whatever the case is. So volunteering is really, really, really important. Okay, now, eight minutes into this, and I haven't even talked about why I, I wanted to do this episode. So I always tell our coaches, and you might want to write this down, okay? Your program is as strong as your staff. Without a staff, your program is not going to be as strong as it could be. And here's what I get. So that means hiring assistant coaches or not even hiring, bringing on assistant coaches, finding assistant coaches. And here, before you, before you, before you take this off and listen, listen to this, okay? The number one objection I get is either I can't afford to hire an assistant coach. There are no assistant coaches available for me to bring on. There's no one that's willing to volunteer their time or I don't have, again, I don't have the budget for it. Those are all the number one complaints I get when I tell people that they need to hire or bring on an assistant coach. And I'm here to tell you that you can still do it without all the bells and whistles. You don't need to have a budget to bring on an assistant coach. You don't need to, you know, hire, you, 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 oh, here's what you need, okay? And I'll walk you through all the scenarios. I, as many of you know, I coach a high school girls team. It's the one team that I do to give back to the sport and, to stay, and also to stay kind of in tune with like the youth because I want to make sure I know what's going on in the high school and club uh, scene. And it's not a big commitment. It, it's it, in, in Canada, the, the school season is only a couple months long, so it's not a huge commitment. Now, we don't have a budget to hire. Actually, I volunteer, by the way. This is a, I don't get paid for this. It's a volunteer position. And naturally, if the head coach is a volunteer, then everybody else is going to be a volunteer, okay? And normally, it's during worked hours, like, you know, when people are working because it's a high school team. So they're normally, you know, it's after school and people are still at work. So you can imagine, it's very, very hard to find an assistant coach. So here's what I do. I make an announcement in the school for volunteers, students who want to volunteer and get, you know, I'll give them volunteer hours if they need volunteer hours. I'll give them, you know, things like that. But it's not paid. And they're not coaches. They're just volunteers. And because I understand how to do how to run a program, and I understand where assistant coaches can help, this is where I would train the, and mind you, these people are just students. Now, it's better if they know volleyball. If, they, if, if I'm really, really you know tight one year where I, I can't even get volleyball people, I would just get anybody who's willing to learn and willing to be there. And I understand that in practice, there are certain things that need my attention, and there are certain things that I can delegate to my volunteers. Okay, now here are things that volunteers can do. There's a lot of things volunteers can do. They can be targets in practice. So you don't have to have players be targets. They can be targets in practice, which, which helps your players get more reps. They're going to be shagging balls for you. So balls aren't over the gym. And we have to stop practice. Say, okay, everyone shag. That takes like, you know, 15 to 20 seconds, maybe even a minute. And then they go back. Shagging's taken care of. And the two big important things that my volunteers do in practice are film, they can film your practice, and they can do stats in practice. Now, as a one-person show, myself, I can't do everything. I can't do stats, I can't film, and be able to assess my players effectively. It's not going to work. So all we do is my volunteers will be, and sometimes I only have two volunteers, by the way, and that's okay. One volunteer will be required to do stats, 
And if any of you, for my listeners who've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you know I'm all about measurable feedback, okay? Measurable feedback when I'm at practices. So if we're doing a simple passing drill, then I want to make sure that my volunteer is statting the passes. Now, this isn't a very hard task because all I have to train my volunteer to do is to recognize what's a good pass and what's a bad pass on a three-level, three-point scale. So a three-quality pass is a perfect pass where the ball is passed high enough where the setter doesn't have to move very much in their two-and-a-half zone, and they can set all four hitting options. A two-quality pass is where the setter has to move, doesn't is probably not able to get all four hitters. Maybe the middle's not involved. They have to move a little more. Maybe the ball is passed low, but it's still a good enough ball where we can hit many players. A one is a really bad ball where there's only one hitting option potentially, or we just have to free ball it over. And a zero is a serve-receive error. So at the beginning when I'm just training them, I'll, I'll walk them through what that is, and then I'll yell out the passes as the drill is going on. So I'm like, oh, that's a three, that's a two, that's a one, until they start getting it. And then once they start getting it, it's really simple. And it only takes a practice for them to get it. Then they'll start realizing what a three-quality pass is, what a two-quality pass is, what a one, et cetera. And now they take care of the stats. So it's not something that you have to do, but it's something that they can do, and those stats are extremely valuable because now, in terms of player development, we can track and monitor our player development over the course of a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, a season. And you're not doing that. You're getting the data from your volunteer. You're sharing with the players as well as you know, writing it down and tracking and monitoring it. If you, you want to see players pass, that's where your second volunteer comes in. They can film your players passing. And then after you give feedback and you're going over, you know, when the drill's over and they're switching, you can go take a look at the film and see, oh, this person did this, oh, this is how this person passed, and you can do it in real time. Because now you don't, ha- you don't have to film them. You can be in the drill helping them, critiquing them, giving feedback while someone else films them, and you can go look back at the film after. So you see how this is so much more efficient Everybody has a purpose. And then if you have more than two volunteers, you have targets, you have shaggers. When you guys are scrimmaging, you have they can keep score for you. They can do lines for you. So there is so much purpose and intent with your volunteers. And notice, they're not coaches. But now it gives you free flow, no stress, and you can actually focus on giving proper feedback, on giving instruction, on helping athletes, okay? Now, this is this is worst case scenario. If you have no budget, you have no assistant coach that you can get. Let's, let's, let's talk about club, for example. Well, what if you have club? Well, maybe you don't have students that you can pick from a high school anymore, right? Well, you have other athletes on other teams in your club, reach out to them. Maybe you coach a 16U team and there's 13 or 14 new uh, players that would love to see what it looks like inside that gym and would be willing to help out. The easiest one for club teams, and it's one that I'm not sure coaches really like to hear, but it's, it's true, is parents. Parents are the easiest one because there's always one or two parents that are willing to volunteer their time or even put themselves on a rotation to do one practice here and then another parent does one practice there. And same thing. You got a film person, you got a stats person. Really simple. And this is on no budget. No budget. 
So do you see how I want you to start thinking? So if you ever, if you've ever been in a situation or if you have this mindset of, I can't afford help in the gym or I don't have, I know I don't know how to do that. This is how you do it. And your practices will be 10 times better. Now, if you are lucky and you have assistant coaches, that's great. Depending on how many you have, you know, you're now because you have assistant coaches, when you have your volunteers doing stats and things like that, your assistant coaches can be working with players. So if you're doing a serve and pass drill, for example, you could have one assistant coach helping out with the passers or one assistant coach helping out with the servers or one assistant coach helping out with the setter if the setter is going to be setting the ball off a pass. So now your assistant coaches can strategically be placed at places and they can be giving feedback to your players in addition to yourself. So you see how much more value to the players this is when you have volunteers or you have assistant coaches. Okay. Really, really important. Now let's, um, let's kind of go fast forward there to, if you have full, like full assistant coaches, uh, you could do a lot with, then this is where, and I, and I, I, I spoke a lot about this on episode 61. So I'll just do a quick recap because episode 61 was a long time ago. We're, we're on episode 160 now. So it was, it was, it was a long time ago. Um, so with episode 61, we talked about the responsibilities of an assistant coach. Now, at the college level, and I, I'm very, very lucky and I'm fortunate that I have four assistant coaches uh, and they're fantastic and they do a great job. But making sure that you sit down and you plan out, just like I showed you guys when it comes to you know doing this for free, make sure you sit down and plan out what the responsibilities are for your volunteers and your assistant coaches. And when you do that, Make sure you're doing it so you can maximize your program's efficiency in terms of practice, in terms of games, off-court stuff, whatever the case is. It has to be tactical when you do this. So some responsibilities of my assistant coaches are recruiting. So that's probably the number one thing that their job is, is because I, my job as a head coach is to, don't get me wrong, I st I'm still out there recruiting too, but my job is the planning, the dealing with administration, you know, the, making sure that training camp is set and, you know, all the, all the, 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 the CEO type stuff, I guess you want to call it. So that's my job as a head coach. Their job is to recruit and I can follow up and things like that. Okay. Assistant coaches also have a different relationship with players. They get a chance to work a little more closely with players because, you know, sometimes players feel more open to discuss things with assistant coaches than they do with head coaches because assistant coaches can be kind of like that. They can be that that two way person, that messenger between you guys. In case you know, let's say they're your the players have a, a concern they want to address. Maybe they would talk to the assistant coaches first. Like normally, I find that assistant coaches are generally closer to the players than the head coach, because at the end of the day, the, the assistant coaches aren't determining what the rotation is. The head coaches, so it's a lot less. You know, um, I guess they're, 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 they can feel more open that they won't be penalized for anything because the head coach is the one who penalizes, not the assistant coaches. So their job is to recruit, work closely with the players, also scouting. So if we're playing a game, you know, the following day or following week, their job is to scout the team we're playing uh, through film and then create a scouting report that our players are going to have 24 hours prior to the game, if not earlier than that. Their job is to also do stats during games. So during games, I have an assistant coach who does stats for me. Um, and in, even in practice, sometimes like I'll have an assistant coach do the stats if I want them to. Um, and then obviously they're they're gonna support the, the vision of the program and how we do things. Uh, a lot of times assistant coaches can be player specific, so I tend to work a lot with our setters. But you know, you know, Coach Robert works with middles. You know, Coach Eric works with liberos and passers. 
Um, and then we have other two coaches. Uh, Coach Tom's works with our left sides. And then uh, Miguel, who we just brought on this season, is, is going to be kind of floating around and helping all the other coaches until he gets acclimated and we figure out where the best, uh, like what's best for him. So that's that's your assistant coach's responsibilities. Um, but but the main theme about today is going to be to understand that you will you will not be as successful doing it on your own. Honestly, it's 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 just like. Think of it in terms of if any of you own a business or, or doing it by yourself is tough. But when you have a team behind you, you can delegate and have people do what they're good at or, or at least take things off your plate. And then you could focus on the high converting tasks that you know are going to get the most results for your business. And it's the same way you treat your team. I know that I want to make sure that every practice, our athletes are leaving as better players. And they're doing, and we're making sure that we put our athletes in a position where they can train efficiently, so they're not wasting time doing anything extra. And the only way I can do that is with help. And and whether you're a high school coach, club coach, or college coach, get help, get volunteers. And I just I walked you through my high school situation, where we don't have a budget. I'm a volunteer, so there's no budget, but I still get the help. And if you're a club coach, you can still get the help from parents, from other players in the club, from your friends, family, whatever. Get the help. You'll see how much more insight you can gain every practice by having those people there with those responsibilities. Okay? So just to recap really quickly, an essential ingredient to your programming is getting help, is not doing it alone. And if you have no budget, you can get volunteers. They can be targets. They can be shaggers. They can do film. They can do stats. They can keep score. They can do lines during games for you. Okay. And if you have really, and if you get assistant coaches, they can ref for you. You know, there's a lot of things you can do when you do scrimmages. A lot of great things that can happen based on that. Okay. So that that's the that's the main message, and this is how you kind of structure and do it. So I hope every coach that's listening to this, if you are coaching by yourself. That needs to change. And I hope this episode encourages you to make that change. And when you do, I want you to send me a message on, on, on Instagram, Brian Singh underscore Coach B. Send me a message and tell me how much changed your coaching when you got help. Even if the person knows nothing about volleyball because of the things I outlined, but you could find other things for them. It will, it will, it will change the way that your team functions in practice and buys you so much more time you're more efficient and they should it should be a much it should be, it should be a stress-free way more stress-free for you all right um other things I, I will i'll say other things too that you can get volunteers to do i'll throw in some bonus things um if you're a high school or a club team or even college team social media is becoming a more bigger 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 uh, factor when it comes to running a program now i mean social media before was just to you know communicate with your friends and families and post things but now it's way more than that now it's like it's it's part of it's jobs it's part of your job to have a social media presence so you make sure you want you want to have your team they want to have a social media presence you know pictures if videos put them on there have someone response for that not you no head coach should be responsible for social media that's an assistant coach's job or a volunteer's job so you can have that um you know get help with organizing like there's a lot a lot, a lot more things you can do uh let's see um like transportation, if that's a thing, getting help with transportation, figure out who's going with who, if you need to book something, um, what else can you get help with? Now I'm talking, I, I, my notes are done, but I'm thinking of more things as I, as I talk about this. Uh, snacks, food, 
you know, we when I was in club, I remember we did a food list, and normally there was a parent that took care of that, do a food list and have people sign up for what they're going to bring. Uh, yeah, so transportation, food list, uh, equipment, again, volunteers. If you have a volunteer, they can set the nets up, they can take the nets down, they can make sure all the balls are there, making sure all the balls are pumped. Um, all the all the little things, like it's crazy. All the little things that, that, and you should write this down. Write down all the little things that you have to do in practice that you want that you can get let anyone do. So that's actually a good activity. Sit back, write down everything that you that you have to do in a given practice or in a given week when it comes to your team, and see what you can delegate to a volunteer. And you'll be surprised how much that takes off your plate. Okay, all right. That's it for me. Um, I hope I see you guys out on, on DVA Live on August 12th and 13th if you're listening to this before that. Um, but that's it for me. Yeah, and reach out reach out um, on Instagram. Okay, I'm very active on Instagram. Reach out. Let me know what you thought of the episode and let me know if you are a coach that has done this and, and seen uh, results and, and have been in a better place or let me know if you're going to do it and how that's going to work out for you. Um, I want I want to know. Okay, reach out. All right, that's it for me. I'll see you guys next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you wanna be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training and instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days? When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.